Welcome to Rast Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture and sustainable food production. Brought to you by Rastec, the premier publication for Rast professionals and Ontario Creates. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rast Talk. I'm your host, Marilyn de Guzman, and joining me on the host's chair is Brian Vinci, the director of the Freshwater Institute at the Conservation Fund. Welcome again, Brian. Good afternoon, Marilyn. How are you? Good. Got some good feedback from uh, our folks here on last month's podcast um, with Eric Heim of Nordic Aqua Farms. And uh, I thought it was really interesting to speak with him about some of the challenges he faced in Maine. And I'm looking forward to this month's podcast with Kirk and Christina and and getting their tips on um, staffing their facilities and uh, what are the important things they're looking for um, and challenges they see as they go to staff their facilities. Today we are discussing, as you mentioned, the challenges that's involved in hiring for RAS operations. The two guests that we have today have experience in in this area and uh, will share their expertise and insights around that. So without further ado, let's introduce our guests today. The first one is Christina Espejo, Global Leader of Human Resources and Environmental Social Action Plans for Atlantic Sapphire and Kirk Havercroft, CEO of Sustainable Blue in Nova Scotia, Canada. Welcome, Christina and Kirk. Thank you. Thank you. Kirk, I'm, I'm especially uh, happy to have you on the podcast this month, uh, having known you for quite a few years now. I guess we, we probably met uh, at an aquaculture innovation workshop, oh, maybe 10 years ago. Does that sound about right? I say it does. And uh, there's just a reminder of uh, of how long we've been in this industry and uh you know how much the the RAS industry has really evolved during that time because uh I, I do think it's a really exciting time for land-based RAS aquaculture i think you know everybody's uh all the technologies have come out of their r d phases um and it's interesting how many of those have come out at around about the same time and uh, Atlantic Sapphire are certainly investing in their confidence in their in their tech, as are Sustainable Blue, um, and also the guys that are um, proposing to build in in Maine. So I think this is just a, a tremendously exciting time for uh, to be in the RAS industry, and uh, you know it's a it's a timely conversation because uh, staffing of these projects is 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 going to be a significant issue facing all of us as we go forward. Yeah, and um, Atlantic Sapphire is no stranger to the Aquaculture Innovation Workshop. Uh, we've had speakers from Sapphire, whether it was uh, Johan or Tui or uh, Damien or Jose over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look forward to, the, forward to the conversation today with Christina. I will just mention uh, to the group that we are continuing to plan for the 2020 Aquaculture Innovation Workshop in New York City. That's April 29th to May 1st. Uh, the program is coming together just today. Uh, we were able to confirm Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch program will be uh, sending a representative to tell us about their quality standards and um, that their impact and engagement with businesses. And we secured our keynote speaker uh, just now, uh, this morning actually. Uh, we have the, Catherine Miller from the James Beard Foundation uh, which is based in New York City. She's their vice president for impact. And she'll be talking about what they're doing to promote sustainable seafood sourcing uh, with their education program for chefs 
and, and, uh, and the public at large. That's great. And of course, RASTIC will be there, RASTIC magazine covering that event as well. Let's give uh, Christina and uh, Kirk maybe a, a chance to talk about some of the things that's the latest things that's going on in their respective organizations. Uh, maybe Christina, we can start with you. Uh, I attended the AIW last year, and I had I was one of the lucky ones to have visited to have done the tour at the Atlantic Supper, which which was uh, in the build phase at that time. So could you talk about what's been happening at Atlantic Sapphire in Miami right now? Yes. Just as an update, as, as you all know, we're pu publicly traded in, in Norway. We've got a research and innovation facility in Denmark. Uh, that is our proof of concept um, uh, of a commercial salmon facility, our Blue House Salmon Facility, as we call it. And we are now expanding that, that same concept here into Miami. Uh, our first phase that we are concluding mid this year will host around 10,000 tons of salmon uh, locally produced in the US, the first locally produced in, uh, salmon in Florida. <laughs> uh, and we will be able to, to, to commercially drive it around the US this mid, mid this year. Uh, some core first uh, we've been celebrating lately is uh, the move of uh, salmon to our grow out uh, tanks. Uh, and they are doing very well, as Johan has explained and shared in LinkedIn in the videos there. So we are very excited. But as mentioned already in this podcast, it is a matter of people, right? And making sure that we've got the right competence, the right education programs to make something like this that is completely innovative happen, right? This is what we're building now, these 10,000 tons of salmon production here in Florida. Our ambition, according to our plan, is to go till 2031 to 220,000 tons of salmon, which, as you imagine, is considerably higher, right? And it also implies a very fast scaling process with regards both to our facilities, but also the, the teams we're building. I think uh, Sapphire's R&D facility located in Denmark um, is often called Langson Locks, and Langson was one of the first land-based salmon uh, facilities in the world, but I actually think Kirk uh, Sustainable Blue may have pre-tated that. Is that right, Kirk? Uh, the Sustainable Blue facility does go back to, I think first operations were actually 2009, I believe. Yeah, 2009, but we, we didn't actually begin with, uh, with growing Atlantic salmon. We were growing uh, some other uh, European species, in fact, uh, including Branzino and uh, gilthead sea bream. So we we didn't actually start growing Atlantic salmon until 2013, 2014. What's the latest at Sustainable Blue? There's a, there's a structural difference maybe between uh, Sustainable Blue and um, the, the other facilities, including Sapphire and including uh, the guys in, in Maine, uh, just in the sense that uh, Sustainable Blue has committed itself to um, zero discharge uh, saltwater aquaculture. Um, so it, it has been the company's mission to achieve a 100% recirculation rate um, without any ocean discharge at all. And so for that purpose, we have had to uh, develop our technology internally. So 
within the group of Sustainable Blue is, is the company that operates the fish farm and grows the fish. But then there's also the, the technology, the engineering and the production manage, sorry, the project management company that, that's capable of, um, developing the technology and then delivering, uh, construction solutions for Sustainable Blue. So really during this period of time, um, we have been proving and building, refining, uh, um, taking best practice out of our early R&D efforts. In, uh, and I'd say in 2017, we built what we felt to be our first sort of repeatable technology platform. This was a sort of a modular system on a zero discharge footing that meant, uh, you know, if we could just get this one module to perform as we wanted it to, then we could scale up quickly simply by repeating the number of modules that we had. So uh, we were able to prove that uh, to our satisfaction in 2018. And then we raised money again to uh, to build more of those modules and bring us really from an R&D footing to, uh, to a, a, a very entry-level commercial footing. So um, in February of last year, we actually commissioned a um, our largest production building on this site, which was a multiple, uh, multi-module system. And basically it's just, it's brought our total production capacity here to 500 metric tons. Uh, again, in a sort of, in a zero discharge, um, configuration. And, um, and last month, Sustainable Blue just in fact closed a significant investment deal. Uh, which we are now in the process of uh, planning for construction again in 2020, uh, which would give us um, production capacity of, uh, in fact, 2,000 metric tons in the year 2022 and, and ongoing. And so um, having proven the, the technology and achieved the, uh, the zero discharge footprint that we were, that we were really aspiring to, now the company is really just in a position of uh, of growth and expansion, um, starting with uh, the investment that we secured last month, and and hopefully we'll just continue along that path um, over the next three to five years. Um, and you know we would like to be uh, very ambitious about that growth. Kirk, that's really exciting. I, I didn't know that you guys um, had just cut a deal for uh, expansion up to two thousand tons. Um, that's wonderful. Congratulations on that and. And it Thank does you. beg the it does beg the question that we're uh, trying to get after today, which is, um, how are you going to grow? How are you going to staff uh, those folks here at the institute? You know, we've been working in um, in land based or circulation systems for the better part of 30 years, and of course we've had uh, lots of staff uh, over that time. And in preparation for the podcast, I was thinking, you know, what are those traits, those attributes that we seek the most for um, hiring into the program. And for us, we might be unique, but for us, it's uh, finding people who are teachable and uh, have that attitude that allows them to absorb information um, and then execute. Because we feel like it's such a niche, it's so unique, this uh, land-based RAS, that um, we would rather train that person. And so the most important thing is, are they trainable? Um, have you had similar experience, either Kirk or Christina? I come from uh, from different industries in 
large scaling up organizations. So what we're seeing in the RAS organization is not something that we that I've seen in other industries in the past, um, where we were expanding massively, say, for example, greenhouse gases and um, uh, greenhouse gas uh, certification programs. Uh, we had to increase our uh, teams globally by two times every year, right? It was it was massive growth. So it's not something unusual. And what you're describing is definitely things that we've got to look into to expand the pool of competence. Because we know that the pool of competence available in the world for a growing industry like ours uh, needs to expand. And otherwise it becomes musical chairs, right? Where people are moving from one company to the other, but we're not expanding the competence. So it has to be a mixture between making sure that we're bringing talent that has the competence to do it and that has the ambition to train others and bring right talent on board, which, as you mentioned, I agree 100% that it has to be people with a very strong learning agility. But also for us, it's very important that they are matched to our values, that they live our values, which in the end are the right attitude for us to be able to expand and grow in the future. That's really interesting. You know, you mentioned musical chairs, and I had to laugh to myself because uh, we've been party to that. We we had an intern. We do have an intern program here where we bring folks on and we train them for a year or so, and we hope that they get jobs out in the industry. And uh, we've had folks go out and do that, and but we've also uh, poached them back. And in fact, our production manager right now is someone who was an intern who we trained, who went to work in the industry for about five years, running a large land-based uh, trout farm, and. Uh, we had the opportunity to get him back. We took it. We knew his talent. Yeah, you know, all of the things that have been said here um, really uh, kind of resonate with our experiences too. Um, and particularly, that I think the most important thing I heard was was when Christina said that they have to aspire to our values. I couldn't agree more uh, with that statement that um, uh, first and foremost for us, we want uh, our staff to feel like they are representing a mission when they come and work at Sustainable Blue and they represent values of the company. And so that, that, that statement really resonated with me. Um, we have found it extremely challenging to uh, recruit people that have performed well. And I think it's, um, it's probably more, even more difficult because we are the developer of our own technology. So where there have been challenges and the system in the early days probably wasn't performing as we wanted it to, we were largely dependent on ourselves. We couldn't really call in our team of engineers because we are our own engineers. So all of that said, the biggest challenge that we have found when people come to us is regardless of where you've come from, some have a marine uh, marine biology degree or master's degree or uh, some come from technical backgrounds. Um, the first thing that we ask you to appreciate is to be humble and accept that you don't actually yet know anything. And you might have been at university and you might have been working within the marine biology department. They may have had their own RAS system, but that was their system and has nothing to do with our system. And we need you to, uh, we need to reteach you all over again. So what would be an interesting observation from our history would be that um, there's a huge difference between intellect and aptitude. And we've had some incredibly intelligent people come through the door 
who we've had to let go because they had no aptitude for the technical side of operating the systems. And so having understood um, that we, we really needed to get proactive in this field, we have in the last 12 months written our own internal training syllabus, which means regardless of where you came from, whether you, you're a, a mechanical engineer or whether you're a biology graduate or even an English graduate, everybody sits down and goes through our in, internal training syllabus and there's an exam at the end and you have to pass the exam. And we're teaching people uh, things like, um, you know, basic fluid dynamics, things that they haven't learned at university. And we were sort of prompted to do this because we were surprised that as graduates were coming to us from a marine biology degree or postgrad, we felt that there were some extremely basic concepts that they had not learned at university. And so, uh, our success rate has gone through the roof since we really you know, wrote this internal training syllabus, training syllabus covering those very, very specific technical points that are important to sustainable blues facilities. Uh, and we've had real success with it. So that, that certainly is, is the path that we intend to continue with. That, that's really interesting. Um, you know, you have to have the technical competency and the values that they bring to the table. I remember uh, I've covered, a, uh, before aquaculture, I've covered other industries in the past in my work as a journalist. And it seems like there's, in the last couple of years, there's a lot of talk about the skill shortage and how the baby boomers are retiring. And, and one of the issues that are coming up is succession planning. More experienced people retire. Is there a program in place to train these young individuals and I wonder what your thoughts on that and how is that uh, translating into your organization? Succession planning for me it's part of the HR cycle uh, that we always have to have in, in mind especially in growing organizations like ours right or, or growing industries like ours so it has to be done almost as an industry perspective um, and it's part of workforce planning uh, so it's something that Probably we've heard about it more, but it's something very common and very normally implemented uh, in, in in organizations. Uh, and I would develop um, the succession planning into a little bit more complex. So it's not just about succession planning; it's about competence and development planning attached to succession planning, uh, because succession planning lots of times is identifying talent that can take the next role. Um, but what we've got to make sure is to make sure that we develop plans for them to grow uh, and be able to take on new challenges in the future. Uh, and probably that's what has been a little bit more developed and thorough in the last years. But the lack of talent, not just in this industry, but the lack of talent and, and, and competence is, is a global issue in quite a number of industries, from the financial sector to the engineering sector, to, the, to, of course, the aquaculture industry because we're growing so fast, right? Uh, so we will need to move faster than others uh, in, in developing talent, I have no doubt, and, and using more and broader techniques to develop talent. Uh, what I also see our industry slightly different to others is that it's not very people intensive. 
Uh, so we can be a little bit more thorough on the training and development of the people selected to join us. And, and they have to have this variety of competencies, right, that Kirk was talking about. Of course, biological competence, of course, technical competence and, and engineering competence. Uh, of course, soft skills that are essential in any kind of job for now and the future. Teamwork, communication skills. Um, ability to work under stress, all these elements are important, right? And how do we help our teams develop it and become stronger at them? Really interesting comments there. Our listeners will definitely be interested in that. When you talk about competencies, you mentioned uh, a range of um, educational backgrounds. I'm curious if in your uh, program there at Sapphire and developing the competencies uh, you need for your staff, are you doing internal training or are you looking to specific programs or cert certificate programs um, that are putting people out with certain uh, skill sets? So the answer is yes to all the above. <laughs> Just have in mind that we are starting. So we've got the Danish facility that is up and growing and doing, doing well. And then we've got the U.S. facility. And Florida is not a place where you find a lot of people with experience in aquaculture, especially in salmon, right? It's not so we our ambition is to bring people with experience in several areas and develop local people local talent because we know that's the sustainable approach long term right so everybody will come need to come in here and learn new things and new processes and and be adaptable to change and improvement uh, but we use both internal certification programs internal onboarding programs uh, attached as well with external certification programs that match with what our needs are. And we also use some, we attract a mix of competencies and educational backgrounds. So we are hiring people uh, with high school degrees for some positions uh, and, uh, and also people with master's degrees for others and PhDs for others. Uh, so we're very, we've got a very varied background and competencies depending on the needs of uh, we have the the same issues in, in, in terms of succession planning is a is a critical one for us. Um, on the technology side, really, we've been led by the original founder of the project, who's uh, who's really been developing this concept for 30 years or more. And inevitably, there will come a time when you know he'd like to um, uh, perhaps just uh, take something that's a little bit more leisurely rather than staying with uh, Sustainable Blue, and we have to be prepared for that. Um, you know, one of the things that we find um, when we developed this internal training syllabus and we had great success with it, we kind of stood back and, and we thought, ha, ah, we've got this. We found the, uh, the pieces of the puzzle that we were missing. And we really felt uh, that, extremely optimistic that, uh, right, we, we found the formula that works, only then to kind of stumble across our next challenge, which was, in terms of succession planning, what we need now, now that we have technically competent people, now what we need are managers and team leaders um, and people who can lead uh, these young graduates through the various tasks and programs throughout the whole year at Sustainable Blue that would ultimately deliver you know, the sort of production metrics that you're looking for. And that certainly was our next challenge because we were finding that actually the ability to lead people and influence and manage is a very, very rare skill. And I think there is a natural component to this. I think some people 
um, have the personality that's more conducive to leadership than others, but there's also a training component to this. And if there's anything that I wish that was taught more at university, it would be not just around your academic subject, but the general skills of that calm, assertive leadership, those qualities that um, you know people just want to follow your lead, people want to perform uh, when you're in that leadership role. So this has really become our, our secondary challenge. Um, and again, we, we've we've really had to uh, dig dig deep. The, the sort of the senior managers have really had to dig in and get involved personally in developing the uh, the staff through these these various skill sets that we think are important to being in the position of leadership. And it's it's difficult looking for those specific aptitudes because you do need you need people. This is a technical project, so you do need people with a technical aptitude. But you also need people who understand, you know, motivation and how to lead. Um, and so, again, it's it's um, it's taken a while. I think we now have a good handle on, and we are doing this internally still. But um, you know, I think that universities could prepare their students better than than they are doing currently. That that would be my view. That's an, actually an interesting point, and. Maybe Christina, uh, coming from an HR perspective, having the technical skills capability or the the aptitude for being a manager or leader of people—that's something that can be trained. Like, what's your experience in that aspect? Yes, you've got some people that might have are more prone towards leadership uh, positions, but I do think it's one of these areas that need to be developed continuously throughout the life of anyone. Uh, is, is a very complex skill uh, to handle both engagement, motivation of your employees, but also performance, right? Uh, and, and when to use one versus the other and communication skills. Uh, very few people, if you think about it, are experts in communication, right? It's, it's a skill that we continuously learn and develop. So I'm, I'm always very fond of developing leadership skills that uh, yes, some people might be prone to it. And, and we look into succession planning. One of the things we look as well is, okay, does the person want to be in that position? Yes or not? Or uh, does the person have the aptitude to do it, um, right? And the skills to do it, uh, because somebody might be really wanting to do it, but uh, maybe we've got a lot of development programs to, to, to deal with it. And some people can be fantastic, but they don't really want it, right? Yeah, but leadership is something we've got to keep on doing forever in our life. I just want to say I would completely agree with that, um, those statements. And, and to our experience, you know, with our staff generally, when we approach them first with the concept of, uh, I think we're going to promote you to a management position, everybody wants to do it. Everybody wants to get promoted. But the responsibility of management, you know, is slightly different. And, um, you know, where where we get into situations you know where this is the first time now that you're going to have to discipline a member of staff who didn't perform or demonstrated an attitude that was inappropriate this person that has been your peer for the last three years who you're friends with and you socialize with outside of school uh, sorry outside of work um, now you have to have a very very difficult meeting with this person and explain that their performance is not good enough 
and explain how they need to improve and what the consequences will be if they don't improve. Those are the times where suddenly people don't want to be managers. And, and that's, well, that's what I mean about uh, trying to find people with an aptitude for that. Um, because I think uh, emotionally, some people are prepared to work at that level and others find it almost impossible. My, my experience is, especially with technical people, not always they want to be people managers. So right. sometimes we're about identifying, they might say, yes, I want the, I like the title, but I don't really want the people management side because actually, <laughs> people don't realize if people management is also very administrative. So you take all the fun of the technical work and getting your hands into solving technical problems into more emotional ones that are, and also administrative, right? Yeah, proving time off and all these things. Um, uh, looking at budgets and <laughs> it might be not as fun as looking at biological performance. Um, right. So it's about clarity of what the role is. This is what it's going to take. And are you really wanting to do this or not? Uh, and sometimes they need to move out of that technical role to be able to develop further as, as managers. They won't be able to have the latest and greatest of the technical part because they, they, they have less time. They've got to manage other people that they will be doing that, right? Sure. And Kirk, you brought up an interesting uh, uh, point as well in you find yourself having to train them still, even though they've spent years in university. Is there more collaboration going on between the industry and the educational institutions? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a university graduate and I can think back to my, although it was quite a long time ago, I can think back to my time. And I think, you know, the, the universities have have an uphill task really because the, the academic environment is very, very different from the commercial environment. And uh, yeah, we were talking just the other day how, how critical our sort of strategic production planning is because, you know, we, we've often said that one of the real challenges of land-based uh, aquaculture is you have a finite number of fish tanks. You have a finite growing volume available to you. And the one thing you cannot do is to uh, overstock your fish in a way that, that uh, gives you poor growth performance. It isn't good from a health and well-being perspective of the fish, and it's not commercially good either because, because they all stop growing. So to actually be taking you know, multiple intakes of fish throughout the year and planning them all throughout a finite volume of fish tanks means you know when we say these fish have to be split and graded today, it has to be today. It can't be tomorrow, and it, it certainly can't be next week. So um, it takes a, a, a real amount of discipline, which in my experience is rare in the academic environment. And I think, I think that's part of the problem. So if, you know, for me to say, um, really, the university should be preparing their students better perhaps uh, it would be th those kind of skills perhaps are best done where universities can collaborate with industry and do co-op programs or internship or take a year out and get some work experience and uh, and, and uh, that probably would be the most productive way to do it. From my experience on the university side is We've got good collaboration with, with quite a number of universities and, and, and engagement and, and they come through here and um, maybe in the future we've got to take it to the next level as well because we also complement quite a lot of the training in-house, right? 
Um, I do see that the universities have moved ahead in quite a number of things and listening as well how to adapt that student to the real life. So they are bringing excellent technical competence, but I do see that they are building a lot more personal skills than at least in the past. Uh, because I think universities are realizing how important it is teamwork and and also leadership skills. So they are it's less a lecture or a, an active workspace, right? Where they work a lot in teams, a lot more than they used to in the past. And I think those are fantastic uh, movements forward from the university locations. And, and I think that discipline and learning agility would be something I would like to maybe focus a little bit more but we are asking so much from the students now right i agree um, i agree yes so how yeah. are they going to fit all these things in in i don't know four years of studies is a is a good question uh, and also at least in the us they come out with a very large loans and expectations to pay those loans and so they also want to grow very very fast and how do we keep that in competence development programs to fit the needs and the aim of those of those employees wanting to go really fast yeah so i think it's also bringing challenges to us to say okay we've got to do it faster and better uh, in the future well let me take it away from the universities a little bit and into more of the continuing education or certificate programs um i think you mm -hmm. guys both know that we've been teaching a, a week-long course on recirculation aquaculture for I guess I first started it um, in 1996 at Cornell and then it continued on here and it's um, you know many years uh, 25 years of, of doing that do you think those programs have a place do they continue to have value especially in the context of like Kirk was saying he's developing his own internal training because his technology is so specific you know, Kirk we've had folks in your class and now I'm thinking that they didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> so I hope it's not that <laughs> no, the case. I think we've only ever had one person in your class, I believe. Um, and uh, unfortunately for us, he uh, he resigned shortly after. That was nothing to do with you, I must add. It was simply to do with the fact that uh, uh, his 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 girlfriend got a job in Toronto and they didn't want to separate, so he followed her to Toronto. So that, that was our only exposure really to the class. And, um, and actually, what was most significant about his attendance on your class is, is how overwhelmingly enthusiastic he was about having been on that course. He came away, you know, it was like an, an adrenaline shot for him, you know, and some of the things he was saying was, I had no idea what I didn't know, right? And and really, it was uh, it was as a result of his reaction of being on your course that led us to write our own training syllabus. That and coupled with a few other things, where uh, you know we would get you know marine biology graduates who were working on their university's RAS systems, and we'd say to them, okay, you know, um, so here's a tank of water. It's uh, you know, it's five meters deep uh, and it's 10 meters in diameter and there's a pressure gauge at the bottom of the tank. What does that pressure gauge read? And nobody had a clue, right? <laughs> and and so there were, some, there were some extremely fundamentals and basics that were missing. And so, um, you know, our, our experience of having an employee on the course with you was absolutely instrumental in leading us to write our own syllabus. Do you think there should be more courses like that, more 
maybe local to Nova Scotia, um, that kind of thing? Well, I think I think where it's difficult is um, that it, for somebody to work at Sustainable Blue, the training syllabus that's been written for us, as, as you can imagine, is so specific to the, the buildings, the equipment, the processes um, that we have. And I, and I think that, um, I think there's a, there's a general need for um, some, uh, you know, some skills and some knowledge which, uh, which appears not to be given, certainly not at the universities in Canada anyway, on you know, the basics of fluid dynamics, the, the basics of pressure, um, and you know dissolving gas in liquids those kind of things those fundamentally are not don't seem to be taught at university so I think there'd be a just a great need for um, uh, sort of fairly generic courses like that to, to plug these gaps in the knowledge but we would still need to put people through the specific training course at Sustainable Blue to get them from you know from something more general to something extremely specific sure and Christina, how about you? Do you think there's a, a need for these kind of, you know, week-long training programs that are, you know, more ge general in nature? So I'm, I'm going to go more into a generic discussion around universities and continuous education. So if you look as well at some reports, for example, from Deloitte, um, they've been saying that in the future, people need to reassess their knowledge or re-adapt re to the existing, to the changes in society. So every two years, you basically have a new, not a new job, but a new competence you need to gain to be able to perform your job. That can only happen with continuous education. There's no other way for people to adapt that fast to the changing of society and, and needs. Um, it's, yes, you will have the basis from university, and I think there will be changes in university, and we can talk about this in the, in the, in another podcast if you want, or in another session. Um, but I think that the future is about is around continuous education. How the continuous education is going to be delivered, that's probably the big question mark. Is it going to be blended learning? Is it going to be through training courses? Is it going to be a blend between experience, training, and learning from others? I probably believe that will be the trend, as we're seeing with some of the formalized and more successful certification programs, right? Will they be company-based or will they be external? I do think that external will add a lot, but I also think that as companies see that culture and their own uh, innovative approaches are essential for their subsistence or for their existence in the future, there will be internal certification programs on top of the external ones. Um, because it's, a, you know, in the end, talent and people and knowledge is, is what differentiates us one from the other. Yes, you've got the technology, but technology was developed by someone, right? Um, so I think it's continuous education will stay there, uh, no doubt. It's here to stay. And the how is a mixture between external and internal. Uh, people need to continue learning all the time. And it's going to go a lot faster, the ability to learn and, and develop in the future. Maybe one of the things I would include in any uh, continuous education program is how do you keep that learning agility and passion to continue learning all the time. Thank you for that. I, I just have uh, really one final question for both of you, which is something that people ask me, uh, but it's really a, a question for uh, companies who are uh, in the growing industry, which is um, what background or what uh, steps should people take 
um, if they want to be considered with a, a position with Atlantic Sapphire or Sustainable Blue, and let me specifically uh, winnow this down to uh, uh, just RAS operators, uh, folks on the floor. So, w what do you guys think? You know, you want to see from those folks um, uh, in their skill set or competencies. So the first one is they need to fit into our culture. Uh, we are very strong in believing that both the massive transformation purpose, that is to ensure that we are sustainably feeding the world through um, blue house farming, uh, through transforming blue house farming locally and, and transforming protein production globally, that is essential uh, for us. And on top of that, we've got the values uh, and the values are uh, so to make sure that we, we've got passion towards what we're doing, we're showing performance, and performance is team-oriented performance, we achieve results through collaboration, innovation is continuous learning, uh, and, all we, and having that ambition to continue learn and, and, and always improve. Integrity is open communication, uh, and that we communicate with respect and balances that passion towards healthy and happy fish, uh, balance uh, and wealth, uh, wellness with society uh, and our partners, and finally sustainable planet. These things are essential. If you don't have these, if you don't feel that, and I'm talking now to, to the people listening, if, yeah. if you resonate with these ones, please apply. You know, this is number one because we are hiring a number of very diversified skills. Then once people, we know, we see that they are fitting into our culture, we go into the second round, which is linked to the skills and competence um, and, and also ability to develop, right? Uh, and we've got, we've got very varied positions. We've got from technical to support functions to specialist functions in the RAS industry. Um, so, but the first thing is fit and also ability and willingness to adapt to this lifestyle, right? You, you know much, much more than me about it, but it's we've got to make sure that our our fish are happy and they take they need to be taken care of 24/7. Right? If you want to come and work at Sustainable Blue, understand that you you are becoming part of a mission which is far greater than the company itself. So we we take staff evenings uh, when we can and we screen things like um, you know wild Atlantic salmon conservation documentaries, right? And um, and the reason that's important is because this is not a nine to five. There are times when uh, we might be uh, grading fish and uh, you're going to have to stay till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And you can only do that if you really have bought into the mission. So um, it's a mindset. First of all, we, we always say that to people who are coming to interview. Um, but secondly, um, it, it really doesn't matter what your academic background is. We've had some incredibly capable people that, that didn't come through university at all. What matters is that you, um, you are prepared to come with a very open mind, that you are curious, that you're technically curious, and that you're willing to learn and accept the fact that what you are going to learn is going to be absolutely brand new to you. So that that passion for learning, that curiosity, uh, that technical aptitude and being part and understanding that you're part of a much bigger mission, those are the things which if, if that resonates with you, then you should apply. Uh, those are our great comments uh, from both you guys uh, speaking directly to our listeners. 
So are, are you are you both actively looking to, to hire people right now? So yes, definitely. And we'll be growing the next uh, at least 10 years. So we currently are, we, we are about to open 10 positions as farm operators, which are working directly with the, the, the fish farm. And then around another eight positions on maintenance, uh, aside from other technical positions and, and support functions that we're hiring. So please look at Atlantic Sapphire webpage and careers and, and keep an eye on, on the positions that you might find interesting. And from uh, from the perspective of Sustainable Blue, I would say, in fact, we um, having just recently commissioned our, our, our new production building, we are now almost fully staffed for this current phase of production. So uh, we will be uh, likely adding two more um, aquaculture technician roles, um, probably around March, April time. Um, but then we are in construction at the moment and next year uh, in uh, 2021 and probably by July of, or August of next year, we will be adding, uh, a, I would suggest another 10 uh, technical people to the organization to, to, to begin staffing that new facility. So that will be aquaculture supervisors and aquaculture technicians and these will be you know, technical operators roles. Wow, great. So uh, lots of growth in the industry, uh, as we discussed. I uh, just want to say a final thank you both to, to Kirk from Sustainable Blue and Christina from Atlantic Sapphire. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your, uh, your knowledge uh, today during the podcast. Marilyn, it was a great conversation. Yeah, uh, it really was. I'm glad to hear that Atlantic Sapphire and Sustainable Blue are among those companies that get it and, and invest in their people. For our listeners, you know, if you like the um, the warm climate of Miami, then you know Atlantic Sapphire is your thing, and then um, Nova Scotia, the coastal. Well, some people like that. <laughs> Thank you again, Christina and Kirk and Brian, uh, everybody's input on this discussion. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. That concludes our episode. Before I go, I want to remind everyone about our upcoming RASTEC 2020 conference on November 16th and 17th at Hilton Head Resort in South Carolina. Register for the conference at www.ras-tech.com. That's R-A-S-T-E-C.com. And for the latest RAS-related news, visit rastechmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation here at RAS Talk.